You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Thank you for listening to the late breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. This is episode 114, unbelievably. Uh, Whether this is your first podcast that you're listening to or whether you've been with us this entire time, thank you for coming along as ever. My name's Ben Hocking joined by Harry and Sam Sage, of course. Um, Sam, it's been four days since our Imola review, and I still can't get over Valtteri Bottas not being your worst driver of the day, two races in a row. This must be a record. Um, It'll never happen again. I'm sure he'll do something absolutely ridiculous, like be four seconds behind Lewis Hamilton in the next race, and I'll just claim him to be the worst driver of the day, because it's sporadic, you know? It's as the mood takes me. But while I'm gibbering on classic F1 rubbish... Um, I want to say something nice. Uh, we're almost got a thousand followers on the podcast, firstly, which is absolutely crazy that enough of you decide to stick around to listen to us three morons. And we've also gone over 20,000 streams in, um, in, in, in under a year, it feels like, because we only started really doing this properly, like in June last year. So the fact that we've hit 20,000 streams, there's going to be a thousand of you that turn up every single week is astonishing. So thank you. Um, I don't understand it, but it's quite possibly the best thing in my entire life. So please keep doing it. It really does mean a heck of a lot. That's not a joke. That is genuinely sincere. It means the world to us. Please keep doing it. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, sorry, Ben. I I like the idea that um, someone has entered this podcast at episode 114. You know that gif? where that person enters the room with the pizzas and everything's on fire and it's all chaos. I feel like that's what it would be like entering a podcast episode 114. So if but that with is you, a thousand other people in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it started well today. Yeah, I mean, 20,000, that's, uh, yeah, it's mind-blowing and... It's still over one thousand if you take away all of our all of our parents because I mean that's where nearly all of the listeners come from. But <laughs> that's you know, true. Thank, thank you to that. the rest of you as well. Yeah, 
big respect. Um, but coming up on today's podcast, Alpha Tauri. Um, are they currently wasting a good car? That's what we're going to be asking after two races of the season thus far. Um, welcome to Miami. Miami is hitting the F1 calendar 2022, so we'll be discussing that one. Uh, and we're bringing back Pump the Brakes, so some big opinions coming your way later on the show. But first, we're going to be looking at one of the biggest talking points of the weekend, if not the biggest one of all, Valtteri Bottas and George Russell colliding. Uh, both are pretty angry about it at the time. Uh, Russell suggesting that Bottas would not have made that move uh, on a different rival. Interesting. Uh, Russell has since apologised for that and indeed his entire conduct from the weekend. But um, Sam, what were your thoughts on this claim from, from old George? I'm amazed that Bottas has recovered enough from the Russell bonking that he was given, that he was able to kind of come away from the weekend. That seemed more severe. Yes, folks, you heard it right. That seemed more severe than the accident itself. Um, on more serious terms, I wasn't pleased. I know that they just come together at 200 miles an hour. I know that that must be one of the scariest encounters you can have where you are involved in any kind of sport or you're aware of the consequences. And it happened on that corner. It's a very, you know emotional part of any racetrack for any Formula 1 fan is that corner you know it means a lot to a lot of people understandably and they came together at 200 miles an hour that gets the adrenaline pumping I can't imagine experiencing that level of an impact it would definitely get my blood pumping I'd be kind of am I alright am I am I good am I, am I still here the fact that he then walked over and absolutely took a swat of Bottas's head after that I, I get it, but I don't get it. It's not excusable to start with. I'm talking about the violence before I get onto the, the the statement. I understand why he did it. Does it make it okay? No. Bottas flipped him the bird, and I think that's that. I think that's fine. We're all allowed to have a swear. We're all allowed to have a shout, and I think that's completely fine for someone to go. You've annoyed me, but to then walk over and smack someone on the head is. It shows that I think Russell's got a bit of a way to come when it comes to. Growing up a little bit, controlling his emotions, understanding the situation. And the same can then be said for that statement that he put on social media. He was the first person out the, out the gate to think, there's a, there's a motive behind this. There's a, you know, there's a reason why um, you defended dirtily against me. You, you tried to take us both out the race. Bottas has never been like that as a driver, regardless of who he's racing. He could have done that to Lewis Hamilton multiple times. And he hasn't. When those who have ever had any issues... You know, come on, it's a scuffle. Bottas has never been malicious to anyone on that track. He makes a few mistakes, yes, but he he will always try and beat you fair and square and earn his place. I think Bottas is a very proud bloke and is earning of his spot and wants to show that he's got his spot on merit. Um, So I think he was a bit rude. I think it was a bit inconsiderate. I think it was a bit immature of George Russell to come out saying... The only defending against me because he doesn't want me to have his seat and wants me to look bad is essentially the gist of what he was going on. And I, I disagree with it. I think it's a bit silly. And I'm glad George owned up to it. I think someone whispered in his ear and went, that's probably not the best thing to do, mate. So um, I'm glad it's come to that conclusion. Bottas has come out looking better, in my opinion, on this subject. But uh, we live and we learn. We all made mistakes. You know, I remember Lewis Hamilton saying a couple of brash, silly things when he was in the first few years of his career. And now look where he is. He helps out everyone on the track. It happens. We move on. We accept the apology, and uh, George Russell will grow. Not in height, he's already very tall. But oh, mentally and so emotionally, tall. he is so tall. George Russell will grow. So, it came to the right conclusion. What are your thoughts on, on that one, Harry? Do you think it was uh, it was proper conduct from Russell, or is he right to apologise about what what happened? Um, yeah, I've, 
I feel like the apology he made was quite severe and, um, uh, yeah, I think it's clear someone's spoken to him, essentially Toto, I guess. Um, I think it was perhaps more severe than it needed, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he could say, oh, we've already spoken about this, we, it's clear there was a racing incident, it was just conditions, a very narrow track, they're doing a gazillion miles an hour, um, it's, you know, these things sometimes happen, so... I don't think there was any intent there from Bottas, and you can actually see he moves back over to the left once he realises what's happening. Um, yes, yeah, so George, it was the heat of the moment. He shouldn't have said said it, and I think it's, it speaks volumes as to where his his mentality is, you know, is at because he spent two years in that Williams. Now he had the chance in the Mercedes. He showed he can he can spank Bottas over a race weekend if he if he wants to. Um, and he's yet he's still not got that that top seat, and he's stuck trudging around in a in a Williams, struggling to get points. So, um, yeah, it, I think that that's the the main takeaway I you know I have from it. Um, be, be, yeah, like Sam said, he, he's young. F one drivers have all said stupid things about one another when they were young. Um, yeah, it, there are worse things that could have happened, but yeah, it's. Uh, He'll learn. He'll live and he'll learn. He'll grow, as Sam said. Not in height, but he'll grow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in terms of the you know the crash itself we've discussed and whether it was a racing incident or whose fault it was, we, we've discussed the crash itself, but just looking at the, the aftermath of the crash, um, I, I would echo what, what Sam said in that words that come directly after a crash like that I think are completely fair game. And I've got no, I've got no problem with, with the words that come out of these guys' mouths directly after. Um, I think if you're, you know, besides obvious language that absolutely isn't acceptable, um, this outpour of emotion from both of them, I've got no problem with it whatsoever because you know the, these guys are putting themselves in life-threatening situations. You know, it, it can't be argued that these are situations that where they their will their well being is at least somewhat um, in jeopardy. So when they come together like that, um, you know, there is an element of trust amongst the twenty drivers that they will do everything they can to keep each other safe whilst remaining in that competitive environment. You know, when when that is compromised in any way, I think it's perfectly acceptable two seconds after the crash to snap about it. I've got no problem with that at all. Uh, and even George Russell going over um, and the little scuffle they had, it wasn't quite PK and Salazar, but <laughs> I, I, I've got I've got no issue with that either, actually. I, it is straight after the crash. It's an outpour of emotion. If it had happened after the race, then I, I would have had a problem with it because by that point, you've had a bit of time to calm down about it. There was a very re- raw reaction from both of the parties involved here. Um, I think the follow-up comments regarding Bottas um, treating him differently because of who he is. I think it was foolish and I think it was completely unnecessary from from George Russell Um, because it doesn't matter whether it's right or not. It it, it doesn't matter whether Bottas did treat him differently or didn't treat him differently because, first of all, there's absolutely no way to prove it unless Bottas literally comes out and says, yeah, I, I treated him differently because of who he is. And we know that would never happen. So if there's no way to prove it one way or the other, there's no real point in saying it. Um, 
and secondly, it, it's completely it's just completely irrelevant anyway because you know they are rivals. Um, you know, he might be part of the Mercedes Junior program. But the way I see it is it's two different constructors. No different to if it's Aston Martin and Alpine or, or Alfa Romeo and, and Ferrari or Ferrari and a lawnmower. Or, you know, I can't make Ferrari jokes anymore. They're too good now. Um, <laughs> God, pain, painful. Um, Great the point is, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the point is like all of these 10 teams are independent constructors and there is a bit of a problem about how independent some of them are. But, you know, I don't see that the Mercedes affiliation, I think, means nothing when when you get on track. I think all of this boils down to Russell being frustrated uh, and being impatient somewhat. I mean, the frustration is understandable. You know, this is his third year at Williams, and he has a grand total of zero points, at least at Williams, to show for it. Um, and he had a serious chance here to to do something about that. He almost definitely would have ended up in the points if he, if he finished that race. Bear in mind, it's also the second consecutive year at Imola where he's had the chance to do that. So I can understand why he was frustrated in the position that he was in, that he couldn't convert that into any points. And he knows how good he is, and the points just don't show that at all. There's got to be some frustration there. And if anything, I would actually, I'd actually praise his patience that the first sign of a snap of any kind has actually happened in his third year at this awful team to put it bluntly you know this is a team that can't give him any opportunities to score points and it's taken him this long for this sort of an episode i actually think that's i think other drivers might have snapped well before he had so you know i there is that there is that to consider as well and he did show what he could do at bahrain which is another source of frustration because he had one opportunity he knocked it out of the park and there's nothing he can do about it at least for now um, what I would say to all of that is that the frustration is understandable, but George Russell should probably heed his own advice here that he has said quite a few times over the last few years. And that is that the points, whilst they don't mean nothing, they're also pretty irrelevant for whether he gets the Mercedes seat or not. He knows that the right people know what a good driver he is and what a good job he's doing. The, the right people know that. If anyone comes forward and says that George Russell is not a good driver because he hasn't scored any points at Williams, their opinion is not worth listening to. And that opinion is not going to be shared by the people who might consider hiring him at Mercedes. Take that advice on board, literally his own advice there, and just remember that. He's doing more than enough in that seat to, to warrant a chance. And he's just got to keep keep going. He might not be in the Mercedes seat, but he is in the driving seat in that situation. He is in that Bottas versus Russell, I think he is in the driver's seat. He's just got to keep doing what he's doing. He's not the one under pressure. And needless comments like this, they, they don't help his cause. He's just got to keep doing what he's doing on track. The fact that he was battling Valtteri Bottas in the first place is more than enough of a statement. Even if he wasn't battling him, he doesn't need to. So, you know, he's doing more than enough in the role. And he knows, and I think and this is something I've said before, that Valtteri Bottas is not safe within that seat. And I think what's keeping Bottas there is the fact that he's a reliable, consistent, uh, reliable constant, whereas Lewis Hamilton isn't that at the moment. Lewis Hamilton, I think the second Lewis Hamilton decides his future one way or the other, whether he stays or goes, that's going to decide Valtteri Bottas's long-term plans for him. Um, but until that happens, you can't risk getting rid of him. 
So I, I think George Russell needs to keep being patient. I know it's a tough situation. I know he has aspirations that he can't yet achieve. It will happen. He just needs to stay calm. And I think the apology, you know, it was sincere. Um, and he, I will be the third to say he will grow. Great, isn't it? Giant. <laughs> Honestly, if anyone else weighs in on this point, he's going to be about 10 foot tall. But I'm already we'll, short we'll, enough. We'll, I don't need another person taller than me. Thank you. Think, think of Sam. Come on, George. Think of Sam. Completely serious point to end on there. We'll move on to <laughs> Alpha Tauri. Um, they currently sit in fifth place in the Drivers' Championship, although they are 26 points behind fourth place Ferrari. Um, Gasly and Sonoda both had pretty dramatic races at both circuits that we've gone to so far. So, um, Harry, do you think that they are somewhat underperforming on what that car's potential is? Uh, yeah, I think uh, a little bit. Um, they probably will look back at these first two races, I think especially Imola, where they looked very tidy in practice and quality. Um, yeah, they'll look back at it as a, as a lost opportunity. Obviously, Sonoda binned it in quality, which hampered his progress. Well, I mean, he got back into the points in the race and then spun again. Um, so that's obviously disappointing and they decided that they liked the Germany 2018 tactic for Pierre Gasly and left him out of wet tyres until it was dry for some reason um, they love that, what's that about? I completely forgot about that race yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know why Why they poor, poor P. Gas anyway, um, yeah I think because that we, I think it's you know, widely recognised that that car is, is, is quick and it could have been up there fighting with you know Potentially Norris and the two Ferraris for the, that podium, particularly in Gasly's hands. So, um, yeah, they'll definitely look back as a but look back as a missed opportunity. Um, that Honda engine is clearly performing well in the back of the Red Bull, so that you know it's going to be doing well in the back of the AlphaTauri. So, uh, yeah, I think they'll take at least some confidence in the fact, in, you know, in the knowledge that uh, it's a quick car and it seems to be a quick car at different types of tracks. At least the ones we've gone to so far. So, um, yeah, they just got to put together a put together a, a whole weekend and just calm little Yuki Sonoda down just a teeny bit. We love it, it's a teeny bit. But other than that, it's all fine. I'm not subscribing to that. Don't <laughs> calm down. Don't calm down, Yuki. Um, I mean, what do you think, Sam? Do you think that the number of points that they have is reflective of the the pace of that car? Firstly, don't ever calm little Yuki down. Yuki's a little firecracker and he can stay that way for life, as far as long as I'm concerned. Um, it's a tough one. Actually, I scrapped that. It's not a tough one at all. I know exactly my answer. I had time to think about it while Harry was talking. I completely disagree with Harry um, in the sense that P. Gazzle, in his first race in Bahrain, that is the only mess-up I think is a genuine write-off mess-up that I expected more from in that scenario. Uh, P. Gasol broke his front wing on the first lap. He's got the experience now to negotiate a first lap kerfuffle. It does happen to every driver, but I expect a little bit more. He's been performing very well when he has had the chance. In Imola, his team left him out for too long. It was a bad strategy call that is not entirely dependable on that driver. Little Yuki's had two races. I think you, if anyone told me that Yuki Sanoa didn't do enough in that opening race in Bahrain, I would not respect their F1 opinion again. He... Dig a bloody soldier around the outside of bloody Fernando Alonso from four years back 
It was an incredible move. He saw great points. He flew through the field. And Yuki Tsunoda made a mistake at a track where a seven-time world champion made an even worse mistake. I expect mistakes from rookies. I expect mistakes from youngsters coming through. Yuki's getting them out of his system. He's had one great race. He's had one slightly silly mistake and another one. It's fine. Unfortunately, that's the whole point of Alpha Tauri is development, is for growth. They're not expected to be a top-side team. Yes, they have got a fast car. Yes, I think as the season continues, they will be able to extract more and more performance and more points out of that car. I hope so anyway, because it's a great team and I really would like to see them fighting up there at the top of the midfield. So do I think they should have more points? If you're just looking at the car, yeah, they could have had more points. If you're looking at the drivers they have in the car, you're looking at the team's decisions, and you're looking at the two drivers they have with also the pace of that car, I think they're doing just fine, and there is no need to worry. The only mistake, as I said, was Pierre Gasly taking off that front wing in Bahrain. Give it two or three more races, I think that both of them will be really settled and will have a very competitive team. I am not worried by them in the slightest. I think they're doing great. <laughs> it's like the supportive auntie. It- you're doing great, sweetie. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> You're doing fantastic. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, my view on this is if you took FP1, FP2, FP3 from Bahrain, showed that to Alpha Tauri, didn't show him anything else from the weekend, and then did exactly the same for Imola, and you told them that at the end of those two races, they are going to have a grand total of eight points they would be massively disappointed. And with good reason, because I do believe this car is much, much better than the eight points um, suggests that it is. And I don't believe there's one one specific reason as to why. I think there are quite a few that are working in tandem. Firstly, the lineup. You know, Gasly, yeah, Gasly messed up in Bahrain. No doubt about that. That would have got him you know, 10, 12 points, however much it might have been. It definitely would have been a good point score if it, if it held on. Um, but it's not just that. Team's decision at Imola definitely cost them. Yuki Tsunoda, it's only, it's only realistic to expect him to make errors. He's a rookie. That's what happens. Um, so there are multiple factors that are, that are coming together here which explain why it is just eight points for, for Alfa Tauri. But, and I know this is a really difficult thing to do, but if, if you did have Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc in the Alfa Tauri, would they be third in the championship? Maybe. I think it's completely plausible. Um, and, you know, when, when you do hire a rookie like Sonoda, who has done a good job thus far, and I'm sure he'll, he'll iron out the mistakes as he goes on, but it's only realistic to expect these errors. We've seen it from all three rookies this year. And, bar one or two, we we pretty much see them from every rookie that comes into Formula One. So, you know, they, they had to anticipate that to some degree. Um, but in terms of the car itself, it, it does appear like a rocket. And, you know, from their perspective, they should be able to should be able to do something about it as the season goes on. Um, one thing I would say with the Imola strategy for, for Gasly, I really think it was a poor call from the team. And this might be quite defensive sounding in that, if it was the right strategy, he was leading that race. You know, he was the lead car on the wet tire. It was only the Haas guys and Ocon who was about five positions behind him. Those those were the only guys who were on the wet tires. So if it ends up being correct, Gasly is theoretically in a really good spot, maybe in a spot to win. Who knows? Um, so I can understand why you would want to go for it. At the same time, given what happened to him in Bahrain, they almost weren't in a position to gamble with it. Um, because they didn't have the points 
in the bag like they really should have done at the end of Bahrain. Um, and ultimately, I think they just needed a consistent point score to really get in the groove of the season and go with go with the field in terms of what the other teams that might have made more sense to strategize. Ocon going for the wet tyres at the beginning of that race, completely support. It didn't work out, but completely understand why he did it. Gasly, I feel as if he had more to lose in his spot for going for this you know, strategy that goes against the grain. So I don't think it was a good, good call from him. Um, and Sonoda, yes, yeah, Sonoda's pace has been good thus far. I think it will get better. Um, he just needs to, yeah, I mean, he just needs to not crash into a wall in qualifying. That's <laughs> that. That's one on the house for you there, Yuki. Uh, no, no worries at all. Um, it is funny, though, because Alpha Tauri finished um, seventh last year. So they're technically two positions ahead of where they were last year, although they are a mile away from fourth place. It's a bit weird. They're, they're, they're doing better in terms of championship position, but yeah, they've got um, Ferrari and McLaren already building up a bit of a gap. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that as the season goes on. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to move on now to uh, a saga that actually goes back to 2016, believe it or not. Um, F1 has finally been able to secure a race in Miami it's been something that they've wanted to do for a long time a lot of obstacles in the way for them to overcome um, the race is going to be held at Hard Rock Stadium uh, in 2022 possibly June although that's to be confirmed it will be the first time since 1959 that Formula One is racing in Florida uh, and the first time since 1984 that there will be two races in the US in the same year. So Sam, do you think that this move is going to is going to make a difference to F1's appeal in the States? Party in the city with the heat is on all night on the rinks and the record on I mean, we're going to Miami folks. I'm buzzing just for the shirts alone. Daniel Dan, Daniel Ricardo, Daniel Rick, the honey badger could bring his entire lineup of Hawaiian shirts and I'll be satisfied <laughs> enough. That should bring the American viewers flooding in, in my opinion. Um more sport in a country tends to bring more fans, more awareness. You know, Miami feels like F1 city. You know, you, can, can you imagine Lewis Hamilton scoot, scooting his way down the boulevard along the seafront with Roscoe? It's like, you know, the ocean spray guy on the skateboard. It's that level of iconic. <laughs> um, it just, it kind of just fits. Although, have you seen the track layout? It looks like someone drew the Interlagos track with their eyes closed. And it's a bit like, it's a bit spread out and... The chicanes are a bit of a funny place. Um, so I'm yet to see a track preview. But I, I love the fact that we're going to America again. America has many great tracks. It's a shame we're not using any of them. Um, but let's genuinely see if Miami can bring it. It could be historic. I think Miami is a great... Miami, America, the whole, that part, the whole continent is a market that I don't think has been tapped into enough. And I'm not shocked that Liberty have wanted to expose that further. It's the same with um, the Far East in parts of Asia, the likes of China... Uh, Far Eastern Russia, uh, areas of that that part of the world, you know, the Koreas, that kind of places where large population, key areas of money to be involved, they like sport in those parts of the world. Why can't we exploit it more? And I think it's exactly the same with America. I think it's a big enough country. They clearly like motorsport. NASCAR and IndyCar are pretty much all that actually succeeds there. And IndyCar is nowhere near as big as a lot of people think it is in the States. It's a big market. Is dwarfed in the size of NASCAR, so um, I think F1 have got an option there to skip themselves in and be one of the biggest sports in terms of motorsport in the states. And this is the right way to go about it. 
Make it an absolute festival. Make it a show. Make it an event that people all year go, can't wait for F1 to come to Miami again. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to go on a holiday to Miami to see it. I think it could be brilliant. I really think it could work. Do you think this is going to have a substantial impact, Harry? Uh, I think it's the, it's the, uh, the start, isn't it? It's the beginning uh, of what hopefully will be finally F1's proper venture into the US. Um, you know, I seen I saw a couple of people complain saying, "Well, why can't we have, you know, why can't we have the Nurburgring?" I mean, I love the Nurburgring, obviously. Don't get me wrong, um, but I think it was might have been Tommy, Tommy from WTF One. Don't listen to their podcast. Listen to ours. Um, <laughs> made this point: the like Spa and the Nurburgring are about two hours apart, whereas Miami and uh, Circuit of the Americas is like eighteen hours apart because the USA is big. Have that one for free as well. Um, so, Geography yeah, look, I think breaking. <laughs> there's so much potential in this US market. And I think, you know, Liberty are the right ones to be doing this. They're, they're, I think they're doing like F1 drive-ins this year for, for people who have cars associated with F1. So if you're rich and got a Ferrari, you can go and watch F1. Yeah, drive-in cinema type thing. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be a big push for for. Like Sam said, I think it's going to be like a party atmosphere. Everyone will be excited to go to Miami. So, um, yeah, I think it can only be a good thing. Uh, again, as Sam said, slight reservations on what the circuit uh, looks like, how it will be, but it's hard to judge on, you know, uh, a mocked-up simulation of, of a circuit. So let's at least wait until we get there. But, um, yeah, it's only a good thing. Um, I thought I saw it. It might, it might sack sacrifice Spain did I make that up I thought I read that if that's the case we're going to Miami like (laughs) run off Catalonia see you later adios signore I don't ever want to see it again yeah so there you go it could be a positive after all but yeah all all good from my point of view yeah whether this will have a big impact or not is really tough to say I I have quite a few doubts as to whether it will um, because I think whilst it it gets to one part of the issue as to why this hasn't really worked in the US substantially yet. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't cover all of it. Um, you know, I think more races and having two races, considering what the US is in terms of size, I think was absolutely the first right step to to go ahead with because it is, as you rightfully say, you know, it's a it's a big old place. Uh, but probably more substantial to that is not only is it a very big place, it is a pretty different place depending on where you are um in that you know formula one have pretty much tried in all corners of the u.s at some point you know formula one was you know went to watkins Glen a lot in the 70s you know in the new york kind of area they've tried various street circuits at um at detroit and dallas and phoenix they tried california with um uh long beach almost lost me there um, you know, Indianapolis, they've been there regularly, Texas, they've been all over the place. They even tried a damn car park in the early 80s. You know, they have tried everything when it comes to the States. And and pretty much apart from the one-off race they had in 59 at Sabring, they've never really done much in the kind of Florida sort of southeast area of the country. So, you know, they've, they've tried this before. Maybe this is the key. Who knows? But 
I, I, I would say, first of all, like, wh- why is they need to understand, first of all, why isn't F1 as big in the States as they would like it to be? Because you are right when you say it is a massive untapped market. I, I don't want to say completely untapped because there are a lot of F1 fans in the US, but at least in comparison to what it could be, it, it's nothing. Um, you know, you need to understand why that hasn't been the case up until now and how you then counteract that. So, I mean, first of all, whilst Formula One is a global sport, we can't deny that it's Europe-centric. It's still Europe-centric in the bulk of races happen, not only in Europe, but in a European convenient time. You know, even races such as Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, Singapore, where it's not in Europe, they're still adjusted times to fit in with the one, two, three o'clock range for for Europe and, and you know the UK and, and mainland Europe. So, you know, it's still a very Europe-centric sport, which means it's it's a lot easier to be a casual fan of Formula One in Europe than it is in America or really anywhere else. You know, if you were to say, you know, if you've got someone who is partially interested in Formula One but maybe isn't massively into it might not be doing anything at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, stick F1 on for a couple of hours and enjoy yourself. In the States, and, you know, my timings might be a bit off here, but if you're, say, if you're living in California, the majority of races are not going to start after about seven o'clock in the morning. I mean, I I think the average European race would be about seven, eight o'clock in the morning, which means you're very, you're less likely to stumble across it And really, you have to make a dedicated plan to go and watch that. And ultimately, with IndyCar and NASCAR, you've got two series there that are going to be at a much more convenient time for these people. You have to make a value proposition that your series is worth watching more than something that is more convenient to you. So you really need to have, you know, there needs to be a clear benefit for someone watching Formula One over someone picking something more convenient. I think that's one reason why Formula One hasn't necessarily done well. And linked to that, uh, a second point is that NASCAR and IndyCar, stock car racing particularly, is so well embedded within the the rich motorsport history that the US has. Could you imagine, let's reverse this, could you imagine that NASCAR trying to make a big push in Europe and what would happen? You, You could very easily foresee it not working very well Hey, hey guys, here's NASCAR. We're going to try and push it to you people in Europe. By the way, it's pretty much always going to be on an inconvenient time. We're still very American-centric, um, and we don't care that you've got Formula One anymore. Uh, we don't care that you've got Formula One. You should still watch NASCAR. It's a, hard, it's a hard pitch. So what it shouldn't really be any different from what they're doing here with the US. Because outside of the US and the Mexican Grand Prix, really, there aren't any other races that would happen at prime time for the US audience. The other thing as well, um, just to add another difficulty for the US market, is there aren't any US drivers. Um, you know, If you were to put together a list of the best US drivers in F1 history, you'd probably look at Scott Speed. But after you've considered Scott Speed, you'd probably <laughs> look at Mario Andretti, you'd look at Dan Gurney, and you look at Phil Hill, all of which raced in the 60s, the 70s, or in Andretti's case, the early 80s when he retired. So, you know, there hasn't been... 
correct me if I'm wrong, I can't think of more than two US drivers this century. Um, you know, the Alex Rossi experiment probably should have worked, and he did a good job with the very limited time he had in that manor car, but that didn't come through. Scott Speed, the less said, the better. Um, and, and before that, yeah, you, you have to go back a long way to find a successful US driver. I mean, Eddie Cheever is arguably the one that you'd go to as the most recent, and that isn't exactly recent. Um, and theoretically, if your intention of having F1 in the US is to encourage the next generation, when we had when we last had two uh, two races in the US back in the eighties, did that inspire a generation? Because surely that would have led to loads of US drivers coming through in the in the late nineties or the early noughties. Didn't happen. So if it didn't happen then, there's got to be a reason as to why it would happen now. I, I really hope I really hope this works out, and I think it could be a really exciting venue. I hope the locals get behind the event and that they embrace it because if they do, I think it could be spectacular, uh, very Melbourne esque, possibly. You know, Melbourne. I'm not a massive fan of the track, but the event itself is very successful. Could see something like that, um, and I really hope that this does work and this does help towards a more uh, you know dedicated push to the US market. Liberty Media have wanted it for years. Um, now they just have to execute it. Oh, I think it's time. I think it's time to uh, to pump some brakes. Pump the brakes! Love it. Um, yeah, so pump the brakes. If you haven't watched uh, this segment before, listened to this segment before, uh, we give uh, an opinion, anything in the world of Formula One, really. Uh, and then the other two of us have to say whether you're all good. That's a good opinion. No problem with that at all. Keep going, sir. Or whether you should pump the brakes because you've been an idiot. Turn back around. Reverse, reverse. Um, and of course, if you, if both of us um, say that you need to pump the brakes, that's where Dave Benson Phillips comes in, um, <laughs> <laughs> who is, as we know, a late-breaking legend. National hero, Dave Benson Phillips. So, pump the brakes. I am going to let you have the start, Sam. Well... I've got, I've got two, but I'll, uh, I'll kick off with the easy one first. Um, when we do go to Miami, Jean Top will rock the best Hawaiian shirt you've ever seen and be crowned the Dancing King. Yeah, fine. <laughs> got no issues Good. with that. Perfect. Right, we'll move on to the, uh, the more difficult one. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd like to know how he wins the title. Like, is it a competition? Or... <laughs> Is he going up against Fernando Alonso's two-time world champ dance? You got a lovely cocks in my head in the camera. That's hilarious. Uh, I was just dancing for everyone on the podcast. I was rocking down Fernando Alonso's two-time world champ in the Renault outfit. Um, we all know that AF1 drivers were doing like a line dance one day. It'd be like Gavin and Stacey for Gwen's birthday. Two-time world well, champ. As usual, I'm glad we haven't gone away from the topic and we haven't <laughs> gone into niche British references. Uh, to one of our American listeners, who is about 50%, sorry. Um, my actual one, my serious opinion, is that Valtteri Bottas will never win another race. Harry? Uh, I'm going to have to say pump the brakes. That, we, that, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah stop it pump the brakes <laughs> we're 
with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton being on this equal footing, the fact that this could be his last year, I don't think he'll have the, the chance. I think there'll always be one of them in front of him. I mean, if he no, keeps doing Imola, then maybe, but I don't see him doing that every time. Because he was so I close mean, in Bahrain. The guy ha- he has 21 opportunities in that Mercedes. I can't, I can't believe he doesn't convert once. I, out of 21, I, he's, gonna... he's not been able to convert twice in a row over the last four years. I don't need him to convert twice in a row. I just need him to convert once. <laughs> that tells you how little I think he's won. I don't think he's going <laughs> to win again. But Dave, gunge me, brother! <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that, Sam. Both of us uh, disagree with your point there. I enjoy uh, it. No, but fair enough. It's bold. Harry, what's your one? Uh, single lap qualifying is better than the current format. Correct. <laughs> oh, you have stumped me here. I mean, I've avoided the gunge. I mean, so what? what Whilst you think about that, Sam, I will add the caveat that it needs to be done correctly because I think qualifying at its most pure and at its best is when you have one chance and if you mess it up, get to the back of the grid, son. Or in the case of Takuma Sato, recover enough to beat a terrible car. Ben, I was referring to uh, 2005 aggregate qualifying, obviously. (laughs) Oh, that's my (laughs) favourite. Oh, Oh, no. It's like a... I mean mean it in its purest form, obviously. Aggregate qualifying or elimination qualifying is like when you've done the washing up in the evening and then you've (laughs) got to fish out the bits of food out the sink and you're like, oh, it was so tasty and now it's all wet and gross. Um, In what way does that make any sense? It's just a bit gross. Makes me feel a bit... I'm telling you to pump the brakes. I love the anticipation that it that it builds. I love the fact that we've got all these laps happening at once. I love the fact that these track conditions, when you have one shot only qualifying, and especially if it's a large grid, you know, we've got a lot of people who are very close together, and maybe those track conditions change uh, before we get to the last person's lap. I feel like you then lose a lot of that anticipation. Uh, I feel like the way we have qualifying now should just not be changed. It makes sense. It works. Every qualifying session is so exciting i know that a saturday is going to be absolutely breathtaking and i don't remember the last time that that was not the case i love it uh if i didn't love it so much and you might have a point but i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you to pump the brakes but you avoid the gunging because ben agrees with me i avoided dave yay well of course we all know the the ideal is just to do away with qualifying completely and just have sprint races oh yeah let's do that Stupid. Just pick up my sarcasm a second. Um, good God. Um, on the floor. Post get to liberty. I've, I've got a treat for you. I've got a, I've got a double whammy. You, you can have two opinions for the price of one. Come on, Jean Todd. To be clear, they're not paying anything to hear my opinions. Because um, <laughs> that would be quite ridiculous. Um, which one should I start with? Um, I will start with this. Rather than DRS in its current format... F1 should implement a push-to-pass system similar to what IndyCar have. Yes. 
God damn it, Ben, I agree. I was still a DRS as well, because only because I saw a very good tweet at the weekend which said, how dull would the end of the 2005 San Marino GP have been if there was DRS? Like, very true. would have got past him straight away. And, yeah, push to pass all curves. I know they've got energy yeah. deployment, but that kind of system more than a DRS. We have no, it. I can't. That's what energy deployment is. It is a push to yeah. pass. You store it up, you use it on a set part of the track, use it to defend or attack. We have push to pass. It's just the I cars mean, currently don't work close enough that it's a good enough system. You need to improve the cars, not the, the deployment system, uh, because we have it. I, I, I love it. So for me, I think you're stating an opinion on something that already exists. I don't think it really does. It's not. It doesn't make much of an impact. It bloody does. Have you seen how much Landon Norris was able to stay in front without any effective DRS down the back, down the start, finish straight of Imola because he saved his ERS for the entire lap round against an engine that was around the same level, but with ERS assistance and DRS behind him. It should have been a sure pass for the Ferrari, but because of good traction, good deployment of ERS, he was able to defend down a straight line and hold a position. I think we have it already. It's the does cars that, that need to change. Does that mean Leclerc and Sainz gave up the position because they weren't good enough in the in terms of their ERS deployment? It's because it's because the power unit, surely, just... The, yeah, the, the car isn't good enough, but also the cars they can't overtake anywhere else. Well, if you have push the car is a bullet in a straight yeah, line. because they also have push-to-pass. But the, I, the Ferraris yeah. have it. That's what I'm saying. All you all have push-to-pass. So you can deploy it to defend as well as you can attack. All I want is Simon Pagano with no push-to-pass overtaking everyone with push-to-pass. Oh, I mean, that is so... <laughs> Such a good race. Love that one. <laughs> I mean, you have to commend the effort there, the ability. Yeah. Oh, uh, that, yeah. That's a good race, isn't it? That was a good race. <laughs> and I, I did promise the second one as well, um, which is... We should m- put DRS in the, in the, in the race. <laughs> no, because that's something that already exists. Oh, um, okay. God. <laughs> Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez will be teammates until at least the end of 2023. Uh, pop the brakes, Benjamin. We know what Red Bull are like. They are the most drastic and ridiculous team in Formula 1 at the moment, and they will take any any chance to make more revenue, grow a market, go outrageous, and I think they won't want to lose Yuki Tsunoda. If he continues on the, on the drive that he's on, they won't want to lose him. So I'm going to tell you, pop the brakes. I'd love to see it, but I don't think it will happen. That that would be very harsh of them to sack Max Verstappen for that reason, but you know. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hide from Netherlands now. I I oh yeah, they've got bad form, haven't they? Oh, they I'm do. gonna agree, though. I think I think maybe they have started to learn their lessons. Oh, that's famous last words, isn't it? But yeah, it'll be gone next week. <laughs> Uh, but I think even hiring Checo in the first place is a sign that they realised what they were doing was was not the right thing. And I don't see Gasly coming back. And that Yuki, he's not. Uh, you know, I'll agree. He's definitely going next week. But never mind. Sorry, Checo. Yeah. 
just uh, stop stop spinning Perez if that's all right. That that would help the prediction a great deal. Um, yes, nice one. Anyway, that has been pump the brakes. Dave Benson Phillips, glad glad to get his his weekly dungeon. <laughs> Loves it. Oh, me and Dave do it privately, you know. <laughs> that's enough of that. Um, I start I start the day with a dungeon. A private dungeon with Dave. Oh, dear. <laughs> that sounds like my autobiography. <laughs> Samuel Sage, a private gangshing with Dave. <laughs> and more. <laughs> right. Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here before I literally drive up to London and turn your laptop off for you. Oh, well, folks, we. I can't believe this. The podcast has grown to the point where a thousand of you sit and listen to that twaddle on a week-by-week basis. Of course, we'll be back for more race previews, race reviews, silliness, and more videos over on YouTube. Thank you again for the support. I know you all turn off at this point, but thank you. It really does mean the absolute world. And Dave, if you're listening out there, I'm up for a charity gunch, so hit me up. Um, in the meantime, I have been Sandy Sage. I've been Ben Hocking. I've been Simon Paginet. And remember... Keep breaking late. Keep push passing. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.